Hello, friends. This is the Ask LFC podcast. Uh, great to see you, or hear you, or uh, you to hear me. I guess that's the proper greeting. Uh, here we are. We're hitting the middle of summer. My usual co-host, Harrison Gilming, is on sabbatical. He's the one who keeps up with num- what number episode this is. Today's episode, we have entered into the Old Testament prophets section of the whole Bible in a whole year. And we're calling it visionary. And I promised uh, when we started this two Sundays ago that we would delve into a bit the Old Testament prophecies of a coming Messiah, a Savior of the world. We'll turn to that in just a moment. Uh, But man, I love last Sunday, we got to celebrate all of our baby churches. If you haven't gone back and caught up with worship this last Sunday, we give an update on why we're a church planting church, and we wished ourselves happy fathering church day and got an update on all of them. Man, some juicy fruit in those churches making more and better disciples. What a thrill. I even... Um, let you know a little bit about a church planning movement in Tunisia that we are the primary supporters of. Uh, So if you give and serve at Lake Forest, that's something God is doing through you, through all of us, and it's really juicy fruit. Um, We had a beautiful song from Aaron Maynard. Hasn't it been great to have Aaron as our worship leader staff for the summer? She's always been a gift to our church, but week in, week out, you get to appreciate her heart and her giftedness. She shared a lot of her heart in a very beautiful, spirit-filled moment. I'll point something out to you because the Ask LFC podcast listeners are sort of first followers. You're generally leaders. You're leaned in to the mission uh, and the community of your church. We have a, a, a bit of a one to two year emphasis of growing in the ministry and experience and the emphasis on the person of the Holy Spirit in our gathered worship services to then my hope is flow out into our conscious relationship with the Holy Spirit throughout the week. Um, One of the ways that we're doing that strategically is just upping the level of exuberance in our gathered worship. Not that everybody in the room has to jump up and down, but when they're celebratory songs celebrating our great God and his blessings to us. We're, we're just up in that level a little bit. We also think that that crosses over with another multi-year goal, which is that we would begin to reflect the ethnic diversity of our zip code percentages-wise here on Sunday morning. And that to adding that element to worship, we believe, and we've been led to, we've been told, is also a bit more familiar and therefore a, uh, a, a missional way of someone, maybe who's non-Anglo, feeling a bit more like, hey, I could fit in here, whether they're a church or an unchurched person. So that's pulling back the curtain a little bit on something that we're working on. But hey, before we get to messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, I'm going to shotgun a bunch of them to you. I want you to get to know one of our Lake Forest Huntersville staff members, Dustin Harward. Welcome to the Ask LFC podcast. Thank you, Mike. Hey, would you, you have been on staff for two and a half years, 
uh, the timing of it was providential for you to come. Would you tell our friends what your responsibility, what your job is here? So here on uh, the Lake Forest staff, I am the technical coordinator. So I'm responsible for uh, maintaining all of our AVL, so audio, video, and lighting equipment in the worship center, our children's ministry spaces, our classrooms, as well as the youth space. Um, but that also adds uh, the joy that I, I get to also serve and lead our technical volunteer team um, and help uh, keep all of our IT infrastructure uh, functional as well. What are all the different technical volunteer teams on Sundays and not Sundays? So uh, on Sunday mornings, we uh, any given Sunday morning here at Lake Forest, we'll have four to five different camera operators, uh, a CG operator. Uh, wait, wait, what is CG? You're speaking so, Greek oh, to us now. CG would be your computer graphics, so that uh-huh. you're uh, uh-huh. running slides and lyrics for, for our service. Um, then I've, uh, I have two people that usually run... Uh, on the video side for directing and switching. Um, and then I've got uh, every single week, I've also got two audio guys, uh, run, one to mix uh, in the room for front of house and then one for our broadcast audio. Friends, we've really felt, uh, perceived a calling to really grow the quality of our online worship during the pandemic and to stay there permanently, not for people to worship forever online, but when you do, take as many glitchy barriers out of the way or low-quality barriers so that we experience the Spirit even when we worship that way. One of them, Dustin, came to us and said, one reason we're getting uh, complaints or comments that, man, the sound is just not that great on my computer or when I cast it to my TV uh, is we need a, we've always had one sound guy mixing for the sound in the room. And Dustin is the one who brought it to us there's this thing called broadcast sound engineer. And so, friends, y'all should know, there's a ministry partner every week in charge of the audio sound in the room, and then there's a professional-level person as a ministry partner uh, making sure the sound is optimized online. You should have seen a, a, a real huge increase in quality in the last month or so and then in particular, because we also, through the generosity of our ministry partners, upgraded our outdated soundboard. So Dustin also oversees all kinds of projects like that. Okay, now, here's one of the things I like best about you. When we interviewed you, it was like, okay, that guy's totally the geek that we need. He can do the stuff. He's the expert. He talks a different language. Uh, that's great. But he's not a geek that who's like, I don't talk to people, man. Just let me fix the gear, do the gear. Dustin is this really great, he's this neat combination. He's a good team builder and team leader of all these ministry partners. Dustin, uh, the, the, the most fun aspect of that right now is we see a really large number of teenagers in our remix ministry serving on the teams that you, they're leading uh, almost a majority of those positions you just described, plus lighting, uh, and other things. Um, what yeah. is it that you like? How, what do you like about the people side of leading these teams, giving um, ministry to ministry partners? So real quick, you did point out I didn't I did miss my lighting technician team. Okay, as well. okay. So on that when I list gave that list, I, I got like, your I back. I, I don't want to leave them. Out. I got your back. <laughs> got to have them too. Um, but uh, yes, on the so for me on the Myers Briggs personality, I am a very high E, very very extroverted. So I love love people. I mean that's where I find my energy. Okay, um, uh, and I always have. 
but uh, in terms of uh, serving on, on the team and leading the team, um, I actually got my start when I uh, serving on a church tech team when I was 12 years old. There was a children's ministry team, a children's ministry that I was a part of and was graduating out of, um, had a need where we didn't have an audio person. Uh, so there wasn't anyone to come in and run the soundboard. And so the lead audio guy at the church I grew up in at the time uh, came over and kind of took me under his wing and mentored me a lot and ch- taught me how to how to mix audio and what it meant to be on a serving to serve on the church team. Um, and I really took to it and I loved being a part of a team doing the service and, and, and running the service. And so it was it was that experience that it is really why I am where I am today. Cause I've been, wow. I've been serving on a church tech team ever since. So I've got over 20 years yeah. experience doing wow. audio, video and lighting all at different phases in, in that. So you're perfect period. to mentor teenagers here and there's a growing number. Obviously it's a good experience and parents, that's a great way to involve teens on Sunday morning and for them to know it's their church. This is an intergenerational disciple making community, uh, Absolutely. As well as Kidtropolis. Well, okay. So to, I have two more questions. Real quick, uh, I think it's very important for us that for our our teams at church to have that intergenerational uh, capacity. One, because it, it it causes our teams to develop and disciple one another, um, and then it also gives purpose and gives a little bit more of something to do for the ki- for the teens that just graduated children's ministry. It gives them to feel like they are connected and something else to do. And Dustin and I give very effective killer college recommendation letters. <laughs> I'm batting 100% the last number of years if you've been an intern here. So um, there's maybe some uh, mercenary incentive <laughs> to get super involved. Speaking of that, you have an intern. This We have two interns in worship arts. One of them is under your wing. He's shadowing you. He's all, Kevin is also leading some things. He's doing a great job. He has a great eye for the camera. But you're also mentoring him spiritually. What material are you going through? All of our internships involve this, by the way. Yeah, so all of our internships uh, involve some component of a book study. Uh, I am taking Kevin through uh, two books. One is called uh, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas. It is a... <laughs> It's kind of a very funny title uh, by Todd Elliott. It's a great book because it it takes the leadership perspective from a church technical director. Um, Uh And it is very much focused on how to lead a a team of volunteers, how to work with a worship team, being in that technical environment, um, how to cross that line and that barrier of if I'm on the tech team, I don't necessarily, it's easy for technical people to feel like they can't talk to or or be in community with the those on the stage okay even though we're all on the same team we're all still producing that same worship service and still all leading worship um it sometimes feels well they're the stage people i'm I'm just the behind the scenes person so i'm not quite valued and so it kind of helps to walk through that 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 process unpack that and is the i hate christmas because anyone who's on church staff especially in worship you don't really get to relax and do all the Christmas stuff until Christmas morning yeah. or whenever your Christmas Eve services hangover ends. Yeah, so okay. that, that, that's kind of where it takes that perspective. And okay. it, it, it's kind of, uh, it's because Christmas and Easter, those, yeah. are, our, those are our big times. Those are yeah. when we're kind of uh, pe- me- pedal to the metal and really kind of going after it. And so that, but 
it's it's also the, the time where we have the most fun. It's an immense are. privilege. What's the other book you're taking Kevin through? The other book uh, where I'm taking Kevin through is called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Um, it is a leadership principle book huh. um, by an ex-Navy SEAL. And so that's wow. kind of really taking him through some of those leadership principles, how they apply to leading a team, how they apply to leading in business. That's really um, good stuff, Dustin. Dustin's intern is a high school student, our larger intern program has uh, seven or eight this summer, all college age. They're in a cohort, and Cammie's leading their spiritual development, reading a Henry Noun, working through a Henry Noun book about the heart of someone in ministry, and then each of them are being developed in whatever ministry area they're serving. Love our interns this year, including uh, two from El Buen Samaritano participating in our intern cohort. Dustin, I so appreciate you. What um, what are one or two of your hobbies? Well, um, personally, I am a home brewer, so there's one of my hobbies. I enjoy the process of uh, of, of crafting that, um, and uh, so I, I make beer at home. And it's just kind of a craft beer hobby is, is one nice. of the things that I enjoy doing. Um, and then uh, another hobby is I'm also I, I love doing things with my hands. So I, okay. I always find that I'm doing different projects okay. and. Woodworking and that kind of stuff around the house. What's the most interesting name of a brew recently? You have a personal brew. Do you name them? I do. Uh, I've got one that I call Old Town Reserve. Okay. Kind of Old, you live in Old Town Cornelius. I live in Old Town Cornelius. So I like it. Little... I was with a friend of mine who owns a brewery in another state. He's a believer, but it's not like a Christian brewery. That'd be weird. But he likes to slip in aspects of the faith and some. So he named one his, his most recent brew. He called it Double Predestination, and then in the description it says, "Bet you can't drink just one." <laughs> <laughs> Dustin, I love having you on staff. You you add a lot, and uh, God brought you a year ahead of the pandemic for such a time as this that we could uh, we were already miles ahead uh, in terms of online worship right as the pandemic hit, hit than we had been two years before. And so thank you for how you led yeah, us. It was, it was definitely God that brought that timing in um, because I was able, because we were able to make so many, so many big jumps and getting our quality up to where, we, where it needed to be. And we were already on Facebook and already online. Um, when the pandemic hit, we had the uh, bandwidth for me to be able to consult with about 20 different other churches. They all kind of had the freedom and ability to give us a call and hey, you got somebody on staff that could give they could give me twenty minutes of time to yes. tell me how to do this Facebook thing, and so we were able to impact the kingdom, impact church services all over that weren't just us. And you helped two church plants broadcast their services live from other places on our campus. We always seek to be a generous church with what God's given us to other churches, and for whatever reason, a lot of churches reach out. And so, that's, yeah, Dustin, thank you for extending our our heart that way to so many other churches. Well, friends, that was Get to Know, one of your Lake Forest Huntersville staff members. You see Dustin sprinting around on Sunday mornings. You never have time to hear all that from him. Uh, let's switch to where we are in the whole story of the whole Bible in a whole year. Um, by the way, people ask, okay, we're halfway through the year. How come we're not to Jesus, man? Like there's an Old Testament, New Testament. We should be, it should be about that time. Well, interesting. I will document this uh, to, to the decimal point 
on this coming Sunday. Uh, but the Bible is 65%-ish the Old Testament or Old Covenant, uh, and then 35% New Testament. So we will hit the Gospels mid-August. Um, so it's appropriate. We're, we're, on, we're, keeping pay, we're trying to keep pace accurate to the volume uh, and the pace of God's actual Word so that we're not picking and choosing the pace uh, God has in how Scripture was inspired. And where we are now, we've just arrived at the visionaries, the Old Testament prophets, which are, most Christians know some really famous quotes that we love and treasure and have on our wall, you know, uh, from the prophets like Jeremiah, something, something that says, I know the plans I have for you, um, uh, for you know, to, plans to prosper you and to bless you, etc. Um, those kind of quotes we've got them, but actually reading the prophets is is hard work, and rarely done. And so we're we're hitting one prophet per week. I started off this mini series, visionaries, with Jeremiah, a couple of weeks ago. And because it was a Sunday where we had baptisms and new ministry partners, and man, if, if you dialed into that, wasn't that super cool that we heard the God story of a local nurse who received the thank you notes, that one of the thank you notes, personal, that so many of you wrote to every employee at the hospital a mile from where I'm sitting. She would, Because of that, she realized she was out of fellowship with God and His people. She started worshiping with us online, and last Sunday... <laughs> was her first or second time worshiping in person as she joined, and then she told how God's been changing her life. She's never read the Bible before and studied it, and she's been doing that with us in the whole story. It just made me happy. Dustin, that's the kind of stuff. I just go, thank you, Lord, that, that we just get to see a little bit of what you do in people's lives. Absolutely. I mean, it, I think you've, you've coined, I've heard you coined the term before that, I mean, for us working in ministry at a church, that's payday for us because we see the direct results that's of what payday. we do every day. That was the fruit. That's how, well said. So, but because it was baptisms, ministry partners, I preached a short sermon and I know you were happy. Uh, there was a little bit that I would have loved to have thrown in on that first Sunday about visionaries, the prophets. And it was uh, because I ended with a very clear messianic prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was writing in the 700s-ish before Christ. And all the stuff in Israel has daggum fallen apart, like it feels like our world is today. God had adopted Israel as his beloved child. He shaped his child, led his child in, Genesis, in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Here's my will for you. Here are my ways. And then he grew them up into adulthood and gave them a place, Israel, where they would honor him in their lives and their worship and uh, uh, exemplify and shout his glory to the nations. They didn't get around too much to the shout his glory to the nations part. Because after David and Solomon, they kind of fell apart. First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles shows how God's people fell to pieces. And the prophets come and, and they're reminding the people of God, hey, here's what God already said was his will. Walk in this way and you will experience his blessing. 
Walk out of his way and you'll experience all the brokenness, all the broken down stuff in your personal and life as the people of God. But the prophets also say, here's how God's going to heal. He's going to put the puzzle pieces back together at some point. He'll heal you now under the old covenant, but there's going to come a time of ultimate healing that will be like an atom bomb of God's covenant that will now expand out to all the nations of the world. And they begin to hint at this, and it's called the Messiah, the Anointed One. And Jeremiah, I just gave one of those. What I want to do right now, I just want to shotgun a bunch of the Old Testament prophecies. Uh, these are not exclusively the prophets, but the ones I just I grabbed a source that I trust this morning or for the sermon, and then I just didn't get to it. And I'd love to just read them to you consecutively for just a moment, just for you to hear and maybe be amazed and astounded the more you know about Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us the coming Messiah would be born of a virgin. Virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. From the line of Abraham, Genesis twenty two eighteen, A descendant of Judah, Genesis 49, 10. From the household of David, Jeremiah 23, 5. He would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. That was a prophet. Presented with gifts at his birth. Psalm 72.10, and then forced to flee an evil king who wanted to kill all the children in the region of Bethlehem, Jeremiah 31.15. The Messiah would be exiled to Egypt as a kid and return home to Israel from there, Hosea 11.1. He would claim to be God with us, Emmanuel, Isaiah 7.14. He would function as a prophet, Deuteronomy 18.18, a priest, Psalm 110, verse 4, a king, Psalm 2, verse 6. He would be a teacher of parables, Psalm 78.2. He would be preceded by a messenger crying out in the wilderness, Isaiah 40, verse 3. That was John the Baptist. He would begin his ministry in Galilee, Isaiah 9.1, perform many miracles, Isaiah 35, 6. Entered Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. Zechariah 9, 9. And then there are more than 20 prophecies that get fulfilled in his life in one day. Scripture tells us the coming Messiah would be betrayed by a friend. Psalm 41, 9. Sold for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah eleven twelve. And the silver would then be thrown into God's house and used to be a potter, by a potter's field, Zechariah 11.13. In the hours before his death, he'd be abandoned by his friends, Zechariah 13.7. Be accused by false witnesses, Psalm 35.11. Stand silent before his accusers when they taunted him, Isaiah 53.7 and other references. Be wounded and bruised. Isaiah 53, 5. Mocked, Psalm 22, 7. Be beaten and spat upon, Isaiah 50, verse 6. Have his garments split up and be gambled for, Psalm 22, 18. Physically stagger under the weight of his affliction, Psalm 109, verse 24. At his death he would 
have his hands and feet pierced, Psalm 22:16. Be executed together with criminals, Isaiah 53:12. Experience great thirst, Psalm 69:21. He would pray for his persecutors, Isaiah 53:12. He would have his side pierced, Zechariah 12:10. Despite great physical travail, not one of his bones would be broken, Psalm 34:20. He would die at midday, and during the hour of his death, darkness would miraculously descend upon the earth, Amos 8, 9. He would then be buried in a rich man's tomb, Isaiah 53, 9, after which he would be resurrected to the Father's right hand, pour out gifts on his followers, Psalms 16, 10, and 68, 18. This is a list from a trusted source, and it doesn't even include Genesis chapter 3 after the fall of humanity when God pronounced a curse on the evil one and said, a seed from the woman, a seed singular, ultimately this is the first prophecy of the Messiah, will crush your head, speaking to the evil one, but you will bruise his heel, a wounded Messiah in Genesis 3. Doesn't even include Daniel 7, which I'm preaching on this week. This is why this is on my mind. This week I'm going to preach one of the visions of Daniel, and it's about his day. It's mostly about the majesty of God, and then toward the end in Daniel's vision, Daniel was writing in the 500s BC when Israel was in captivity in Babylon, and he said, here's how Part of his vision ends. In my vision at night I looked. Daniel 7 verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Dustin, did you hear that? In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Every Jew, from the moment Daniel published this in the mid-500s up until the time of Jesus, knew that son of man, that phrase, was a predictor phrase of the coming Messiah who would make all things right, save God's people, and would rule forever on the throne with the Almighty. Jesus used, every Jewish person knew, Son of Man is a messianic phrase. It's in Daniel 7. Dustin, you've read the Bible a lot. Yes. What's the most frequent phrase Jesus used for himself? Son of Man. Son of Man. Sunday, by Sunday, I will have counted them up. <laughs> it's so... Anyone who tells you, no, no, Jesus was just a good teacher. He wasn't claiming to be God. People made that stuff up afterward. Son of man, the self-designation is in all four Gospels, including the earliest in Mark, including in the part the parts of Mark that the most critical scholars say, oh, that's original, back to the first followers. He was claiming to be Messiah all day, every day, referring to himself as Son of Man. That's why they killed him, not for being a nice guy. Daniel 7, one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. 
Now, before you may think, well, some of these things were coincidences. Mathematicians say the odds of these things randomly coalescing on any one person is 10 to the 157th power. (laughs) To put that in perspective, one pastor said, 10 to the 16th power would be like covering the states of North and South Carolina and Georgia in silver dollars two feet deep, painting one black, having a blind woman pick out the right one. That's 10 to the 16th power. Mathematicians generally agree statistically any odds beyond 1 and 10 to the 50 power have a zero probability of ever happening. Happening. That's called Borel's Law. And then other people go, well, weren't there other predictions in history that came true? If you're my age, you grew up hearing of Nostradamus. Uh, that was when cable TV was just coming of age. You ever heard of Nostradamus, Dustin? I've heard the name, but I don't... Good, because it was dumb. It, it was some medieval guy who said all these things, and if you picked out one or two, you could pretend it was, I don't know, the rise of the so predicting the rise of the so. It, it was weird stuff. Um, that's just totally different category. His stuff was vague, uh, got a lot of things wrong. These biblical prophecies are given in great detail. Not one of them has been proven incorrect, which put these in an entirely different category from anyone else. And then the other thing that people say was, well, what if the gospel accounts were doctored up to confirm these prophecies? I think that's a legitimate question. I think about that question. Um, or, you know, what if, the, you know, the early Christians were like, hey, in my quiet time this morning, I read where Zechariah says the Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Let's make up a story about Judas getting that for betraying him. <laughs> uh, and you know what? They might have been able to get away with a couple of things like that. But most of these prophecies were out of their control and would have been easily refuted if not true. And the power centers of the day had much reason and rationale and motivation to lift up anything that was untrue. Um, They would have been like, he wasn't born in Bethlehem. Here's his birth certificate. Uh, He didn't grow up in Nazareth. We didn't give some guy named Judas 30 pieces of silver because eyewitnesses, tons of them on the good and the bad side were alive when the gospel of Mark was published. That's a fact. Uh, Nobody ever refuted them. And the idea the early church just destroyed all the conflicting accounts of Jesus assumes the church had some kind of controlling power, which they just didn't have. For the first 300 years after Jesus' life, they were the, its enemies had all the power. Yet no one ever came forward to challenge the validity of these things in a credible way. That literature does not exist, Dustin. Uh, Plus, you have to ask, why would early Christians lie about these things if they knew they weren't true? They were making it up. Because when people lie, it's to get power or prestige or escape harm. But the opposition happened with early Christians because of what they were asserting. And you go, well, lots of people have died for a lie. Yes, but there's a difference between dying for a lie and something you know to be a lie. The great historical example of this, Chuck Colson, who was in the Watergate inner circle with Nixon and convicted and became a Christian in prison, has had a great prison ministry. He said, quote, we all knew it was a lie about covering over the Watergate break-in, but covenanted together to lie and not talk. Three days is all we lasted. You're telling me a bunch of uneducated fishermen held out to their deaths. 
uh, Blaise Pascal says, Witness, witnesses who are willing to have their throats cut become believable. End of quote. And held out to the <clears throat> and held out held out to their deaths under great persecution. Yes, they sure did. So, in conclusion, here's I don't really have any bow to tie that up with. I wanted to gift you with hearing those prophecies. Um, in conclusion, I'm going to read the most extended. Profound prophecy of the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 53. Starting with verse 1, it's most often called the gospel in the Old Testament, written 700 years before the time of Christ. And the, the better you know the gospel, the better you know the good news of Jesus Christ and how God came and took all the punishment and the consequences and the pain of our sin and the brokenness of creation. He took it. He became the sacrifice that he required on our behalf, and then rose again to give us his very life. And so here, Isaiah 53, I'll close with this. Verse 1, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Friends, thanks for joining us today. We saw a bit of the sublime beauty of God's Word. 
particularly messianic prophecies, prophecies manifested in the God-man Jesus as our rescuer. Have a great rest of your week. I hope to see you this Sunday in worship. Bye.